I'd like to know about you in this regard. What have you learnt about yourself in this window, this this crisis? Hasn't it been a hugely challenging time on so many different levels? We will tell ourselves that there was a reason why that was just a bad day. If somebody's passionate about something, no matter what it is, isn't it fantastic to have that conversation? Hi, welcome to the Pylon Ultra Pod. The journey continues. Thanks for listening. This is the final episode in the first series of our podcast on living the ultra life. If you've been following our podcast journey so far, we explained in the last episode what we are planning to do over the coming months. We started this as a response to the coronavirus pandemic to have some honest conversations about how the tools that we've developed in our training and our racing have helped us to deal with the impact of changes to our normal lives and ways of doing things. We've talked about training without racing, we've discussed adaptability as an important life skill and whether or not optimism and hope are all we need to stay positive through challenging times. So before we move on to the topics and ways of presenting ideas, uh, we thought it would be great to open things up to other influences and get an alternative view of our discussions from someone with the same passion for the sport but with a very different background again from both of us. So I'm delighted that I managed to persuade Kaz Williams to join us for a discussion. I've worked with Kaz for over four years now and in that time we've built a close friendship. Kaz is an incredibly tough and committed athlete but also one of the brightest and most gentle people I've ever met. She's a bit of a specialist when it comes to particularly long and demanding races, having raced and podiumed at a number of the big US 200 milers. She's been at the Barclay and last year I saw firsthand how she manages to race with grit, determination and grace over a brutal, taut course in Italy as I crewed for her around the Aosta Valley uh, at one of the tour races. It was an honour to witness her remarkable performance and it was one of the highlights of last year for me. And this year we saw that again in Kaz as she joined the rest of the Pylon racing team as we tackled our 540 mile Pylon endeavour across Scotland. Kaz is currently studying a Masters in Sports Psychology and is part of the coaching team here at Pylon Coaching. We are very grateful to have her in our lives and hopefully we'll hear plenty more from her over the coming months. James is here again to co-host and hopefully he'll take a bashing about his Goggins views from episode two or three. <laughs> we have a direction in mind for this podcast, but we'll go wherever it takes us. So listen up. Here is episode seven of the Pylon Ultra pod. Hi James, how are you doing? It's been a few weeks since we last sat down to record after our initial burst of seven weeks of weekly podcasting. So tell me what's been happening in your life. Well, I'm really good. Thanks thanks for asking. And the weather's been amazing the last couple of weeks. So I've been getting into some, some really good hard training. But I have to say, I felt a bit of a void last week not having a chance to have a good chat with you, Paul. Um, yeah. And just bounce ideas around. It's given us time to do a wee bit more research and stuff. But you know, things are really, really good. Work's settling down a wee bit, um, so that's that's helpful. Training's going really well, and the sun has been out, and Saturday night, we managed to get the fire in the garden and just sit there and watch a comedy show al fresco, so it was really, really nice. 
Good, good. And uh, there's definitely been a, a kind of change in attitude, or you've sensed a change in attitude from people eh, with the whole lockdown situation. There's definitely more people out and about now and being a bit more relaxed and seeing a few more people, I guess. Yeah, e- even today, I mean, you're right, people are seeing more people and they're doing it. You know, there's obviously people at the outer edges that are taking the extremes, but it just feels like society's started to smile a wee bit and even today we were at a walk with the kids and we, we walked past a chap we see when we're walking quite often and he stopped to tell us that it wasn't as busy and he's like because people are spreading their time out a wee bit better now so we're not gorging on it and you yeah. just see that that's a guy who before lockdown i would have just walked past but now he's like yeah. he's, he's just a regular face so yeah i feel as if society is just starting to starting to smile a wee bit but there's a long way to go before we show our teeth in a happy smile yeah, I guess it might get to the point that um, it's the opposite effect now. People are are frightened and want to remain, you know, exercising from home and everything. And it might take a few weeks and months to persuade people that it's okay to be back out there and there's there's safer ways of doing things going forward. Uh, absolutely, you've got those. You're going to have those extremes. You're going to have people who are going to be uber cautious, and for some of them absolutely quite rightly so if they've been shielding or they're worried about family and friends and then you've got people who are jumping off the cliffs at the jurassic coast and having to be rescued (laughs) you know and you're just like you know calm calm it down a wee bit be sensible and stay safe yeah okay so as i said in the intro it's nice to be doing something different a bit different this week to wrap things up and and wrap up the series and i think we both felt keen to get some alternative voices and that's kind of what we talked about in uh, the last bonus episode to get some alternative voices onto the show and and for both of us kaz felt like a great option as long as we could obviously persuade her to join us so i'd like to maybe crack on Come in, Chamonix, Kaz, Williams, are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Thank you so much for such an incredible introduction. Um, and I'm <laughs> absolutely, truly honoured to be on the Pylon Ultra Pod. <laughs> it's good. It's good to have you here. It's uh, it's different for, for us both. You know, we've kind of got used to just seeing seeing the one face at the other side. And I think that was kind of clear for us in the last few episodes that we've done that we have these great conversations. And, and James and I both talked about, you know, it, it's a moment in time and you have those discussions and you don't always get it right. And, and, and your view changes going forward. And a lot of the really important conversations happen after the podcast goes out. Um, so we kind of wanted to circle back a little bit and, and come back to some of the things that we talked about around you know adaptability and optimism and hope and stuff so um we'll probably just kind of ask you alternate questions and and we'll just see where it goes and i think james was kind of keen to to crack on first of all yeah and kaz it's so 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 good to have you here we often we say we save the best for last right and this is the last episode in the series so we've saved the best for last in that regard in terms of bringing you in but also you're our first guest, right? And that means that we've saved the best for first in that regard. So thank you so much for, for being with us. Um, Charmer. I know, I know. Um, and, and, and as Paul says, we've got like loads of things we'll talk about and the conversation will end up wherever it ends up. Um, but what, what I wanted to do, so obviously you've listened to, listened to a lot of our, our episodes and if we cycle back, Paul talked about how the, you know, our, our views even change week on week as we go through situations like we are just now. And in our first episode, we focused on finding new ways to stay engaged with our training during this period of, you know, unparalleled uncertainty for us and our athletes. And I guess I'd like to know about you in this regard. What have you learned about yourself in this window, this this crisis? Hasn't it been a hugely challenging time on so many different levels? Um, and, I, and the world is not the same place anymore. Um, 
So lockdown hit us all in so many different ways um, from the initial confusion. I mean, France was locked down just a couple of weeks before you guys, but it was yeah. it was a strict lockdown. Um, it was pretty strict, yeah. There was uncertainty. Um, there was kind of like, I think, a sense of sadness around it as well with no actual precedent of what was going to happen going forward. Um, so the impact on of COVID came in kind of waves for me. Um, I was actually due to fly to California at the end of April um, for a race at the beginning of May. Um, so when lockdown was first announced, I um, was just coming back from a knee injury. My training was going really well. I had laser focus on the race, um, but um, lockdown happened. And I think my initial th thought was, well, my training will just continue anyway regardless yeah um yeah. we had just to, i'm sure people know but we had um one kilometer restriction radius restriction and we could only go out for an hour and we could only climb up to 100 meters um i quickly um i so being a problem solver type of person i was <laughs> trying to quickly calculate okay because the us announced that they would um, ease flights um, from I think mid-April onwards so I worked out I've had it all planned I could fly to London quarantine for 14 days in London get my flight over to Cali and still be ready to race that was like that was my plan yeah. problem solved yeah. um, so when I um, am trying to solve something like this I kind of default to um, basically I kind of who can I speak to to get accurate information um, and their view on it in like people in a position of knowledge um, where can I get this information and then how I'm going to respond to it and what I'm going to do to kind of process it um, and the only person well the first person I thought of was a pilot friend because obviously flights was the biggest impact for me getting yeah. over there um, and her um she works for BA and it was a case of basically all planes were being parked up till pretty much the end of the summer. Um, so from March, that pretty much told me that my race wasn't going to be going ahead. It's not going to happen. Yeah. And so my, like I said, this happened in waves for me. So it was a continual process of adaption. Um, and I have to say, I was probably quite creative in my training. Um, <laughs> we had forms to fill out as well. So we had to have a piece of paper with us every time we went out. Um, and I'm sure people now are sharing some of their stories um but you know a lot of us would carry two or three forms make sure we had a pen or we could go out multiple multiple times just with a different form so with regards to my training it was about adapting absolutely what you hit on you know you hit the nail on the head um with one of those those first couple of episodes um it was all about adapting but in my mindset my training was going to continue regardless yeah it's such a tough, tough time being probably is maybe tougher or arguably tougher being somewhere like Chamonix where the most of the population are there for a reason. They're there to be in the mountains and to to run in the mountains and ski and paraglide and everything else. So you've got a, a lot of concentrated people in a small and beautiful space, all being told that you can't go out for more than than an hour per day. Yeah, um, yeah it must have been a, a tough place to be, although. I would have taken it. I would have, it would have been nice to be home. And, and that's the thing. At, you know, I'm sure we'll go through this through the conversation. Regardless of how at times it might have been a little frustrating, there has to be being grateful as well for the option. Like, for example, 
um, you know, we had one hour restriction. The government could have said 30 minutes, you know, or as some yeah. countries, um, they said, you can't go outside. You know, Italy, we're in an incredible yeah. position. Um, same with Spain, I think, as well. Yeah, I guess that's partly about um, trying not to focus too much on, on the limitations and um, not get too caught up in the things that you can't control. So, you know, those are the limitations. So you've just got to find ways around it and, and be grateful for what you do have, I guess, at times. Exactly. And I, I talk about this quite often, both when I'm when I'm dealing with people who might be going through some career challenges or when you're talking to runners who might be coming back from injury and stuff. And it's like, what, what you've hit the nail on there, what you've hit the um, nail on the head on there with Kaz is, is celebrate what you have don't lament what you don't have and actually make use of what you have because you're wasting energy by going well if i don't have that i'm going to maybe be less engaged or what have you but rather than going well what can i control what can i make best use of so that, that that's really interesting because i haven't really spoken to you about this and having seen from afar i would I, I personally would have struggled and i probably would have got creative and i would have turned into a pseudo criminal like yourself and um, by coming up with ways of getting out there and um, so that that's really interesting to hear it's almost like that question that popped up on twitter last week from somebody james around um they put a lot of pressure on themselves that they're not training hard enough or or not doing enough in their training and you know i'm not doing as much as somebody else and whatever and the the, the the initial question then you ask is, well, what time can you commit to your training? And if you can only commit seven hours in a week, all you can do is make the best use of the seven hours that you do have and not not beat yourself up for not doing 18 hours. If you don't have that time, you don't have that time. And, and people struggle with that sometimes, I think. Yeah. I had a conversation with a mountain biker yesterday because now we can... Um, you know, shops are opening, um, you're bumping into people more often. And um, we'd both spotted each other on a trail during lockdown, um, but it was at some ridiculous hour in the morning and we knew that we'd made a decision to get our training done um, and we weren't putting anyone at risk. And I think that was a big point. Yeah. Um, we weren't, um, you know, blatantly in the middle of the day, spending four hours outside, um, you know, when people were going to the shops or walking dogs or everything else. You know, if, if we did want to do something a little bit longer or further, it was always, um, you know, with respect to the regulations. Yeah, and maybe touching on that then, Kaz, um, is there anything that you have seen in the wider running community or, or even just in Chamonix itself that you would have maybe preferred not to have seen or, or you think people were on the whole um, doing the right kind of things in lockdown? So I think it was fascinating how we actually all responded to the regulations. Um, yeah. You know, some people were very... I suppose militant would be the right word, you know, um, Strava entries were um, 1k, 1k run, you know, one hour outside and it was all very much look at me, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Um, but I think um, there was also, well, I struggled with perhaps a little bit and again, we're all unique, but within a, a week or so, people were actually complaining, you know, complaining about the situation when, you know, they were healthy, um, they had a roof over their head, we had food, um, we had Wi-Fi, we had Netflix, we had everything. But this yeah. kind of element of complaining, I mean, don't get me wrong, I know that there was, there was a lot of um, depth to the situation as well, as we discussed on one of the Pylon um, Athlete Zoom calls, in that, you know, some of the feelings have been associated with grief. 
um, and also yeah. coming back from injury. James just mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I totally appreciate these because there was certainly feelings of isolation. Um, some people initially lack that motivation because of the restrictions placed on them and frustration and anger. So I think these, you know, these are all very real feelings. But I think those that were just being a little bit like kind of toys out of pram, I think I struggled with that a little bit um, because to me it didn't it didn't speak of community of our larger society or even the planet to a degree um, and maybe we'll touch on this a bit later but something that I think perhaps um, we can all work harder at is trying to imagine ourselves in somebody else's shoes and what they're going through and you know there are people that had real struggles during this time um yeah. and you know a little bit of a whinge about running the same 1k I, I kind of felt was out of place yeah yeah i guess on my side of things and we have we have talked about it briefly but um i i struggled a little bit around the the judgment that you saw on social media a lot you know about people doing certain things and whatever and people were very quick to judge and and to try and gain that kind of support from everybody around them and create something bigger out of it, you know, and is we shouldn't be judging people because we don't know their situation necessarily, and it's, it's quite an easy thing to do, um, but you don't necessarily have to make it so public and and try to create something bigger on social media necessarily. How did you find from you know from your side of things? Yeah, I mean that was that was the one thing that. I struggled a bit more about, but then I, I have the ability to switch off social media, you know, I, I, I don't need to be on it and I don't need to let it take over. Yeah. And I think maybe initially, um, it'd be interesting to see actually social media consumption stats right from the start of, of the outbreak right through, because I would imagine in the last, certainly in the last two to four weeks, it's probably tailed off a fair bit, you know, we were all kind of drawn to that because we wanted to know what was going on and we wanted to feel connected to people where... It might just be because I've slowed down with that, that I don't see it so much, mm. or um, maybe there's been a general slowdown in that side of things. I don't know. James, what do you think? So in the social media stuff, um, I've seen some stats on that, and you're absolutely right. There was massive peak usage through those first couple of weeks because lots of people use social media as a news feed, and it's yeah. where they get their news, which is really harmful because many people use it as an echo chamber or an information bubble, more of which um, some other podcast, I suspect. However, um, there has absolutely been a tailing off of that. Consumption of digital content, whether it be TV, broadband, um, news, social media, has actually dropped off. And it's because the news isn't fresh anymore. It'll probably have spiked in the last few days as we record this with uh, some of the troubles in America. Um, yeah. But it won't, it won't have spiked because of coronavirus. You know, you're not looking on the hour every hour for an update because you kind of know the situation and you're in control of your own reaction to it. In terms of how um, I, I felt through the period I've... I have been surprisingly quite chilled about the whole thing. Um, now, I'm lucky I'm a, a morning runner in the main, so getting restricted to only one run a day, as we were in the UK, wasn't a problem because Paul and I just adapted it that instead of having double days, I ran every day. Normally, I have a, at least one rest day a week, given my vintage, that's good for the legs. But we adapted, and then when we were allowed out more than once, we adapted again back to a more normal routine. So from a training point of view, it was really cool. Family were cool because I've said before on this podcast, and you alluded to it, if you've got food on the table and love in your heart, everything else can be fixed. And this is a short-term situation. So do what's right by others. Look after yourself, look after others. And we see it a lot. Where we live, we see lots of young kids. In the last few days, there's been loads of them out. And you could get really worked up at people not following the rules. But at the end of the day, you can only control 
your reaction and the things that you do. And um, I've been really lucky that I've been able to work through this period. My kids are healthy. They're getting looked after brilliantly from a schooling point of view by Louise. And actually, everything's really good. Um, so that, that's been lucky. And I guess that's because I flipped my mindset to what can I do to make the most of this situation rather than how will I become victim to this situation? Yeah, yeah. Okay. James, you want to... I know there's a there's a burning topic <laughs> that I, I absolutely cannot wait to have this conversation, but uh, yeah. James, James, I'll yeah. let you crack on. The, the, gloves, the gloves are off, right? So yes! Back in, a, I think it may have been episode two or three, back when we were talking about adaptability, we stretched that over a, a few episodes. I flippantly... Um, <laughs> had, a go, had a go at some guy called David Goggins, who I first actually heard of through Kaz. Um, so I know Kaz, you're a big fan. So I was going, to, I was going to ask if you're still talking to me, and you may only be talking to me now, right here and now, because of uh, the need to record here. Um, but my biggest problem with um, Goggins is, is I think he delivers his message very binary. You're either tough or you're not. Yeah, and I don't like that. I think I think ambiguity and grey and nuance is where all the the fun and the learning and the growth is, um, and I'm I'm probably being binary in my view of them. Um, so, how would you encourage others who take such a seemingly binary message as David's, and help them hone in on the nuances now? Because because I know you're really good at it, um, and those nuances that specifically apply to his message and his methods. So. I knew Goggins would come up. This is brilliant. Um, <laughs> and of course, I'm still talking to you, James. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yeah. um, <laughs> but, uh, but you have to do the burpees test for me. <laughs> What's the yes. burpees test? You know what a burpee is? I, I do know what a burpee is. He does I, these days, huh? You know what a <laughs> yeah. test is? I, I, I'm all okay with tests, yeah. <laughs> so the burpees test is the number of burpees you can do in two minutes. So I think that should be a okay. challenge for James. We need to find out how many burpees he does and then maybe I'll consider talking to you. Um, no. Okay, but, <laughs> I, I, I commit to that. I commit to that now. I've committed Good. to some stupid things on here, so I'll do that. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so I, I'm a real people person and I love people's stories. You know, I kind of... Um, I'm fascinated about people's backstories sometimes whether it's how they've if somebody's passionate about something no matter what it is isn't it fantastic to have that conversation yeah. whether you're yeah. on a plane you know some of the it, I, I drove some transfers years ago when I was in Chamonix and you meet the most incredible people um, and with stories that you just wouldn't have ever thought of. So for me, um, I came across David Goggins um, through a podcast with Jesse Itzler um, when he was launching his book, Living with a Seal. Um, so this is my introduction to, um, to Goggins. I'm kind of a, a sucker for a challenge, a bit like you, James. Um, if somebody puts an obstacle in my way, I kind of like, I can find a way to get around it or do it. Um, but I really connected with... Um, the Goggins element in his book um, because I think fundamentally all too often I mean he would the binary would be we've all got a bit too soft we need to toughen up yeah. but I think off, all too often we just don't realize um, our full potential because we're comfortable and we don't put ourselves in that place of discomfort um, mm -hmm. and no, and then having so having read that book and then on the launch of David's book, 
I say David, as if I know David. him. David. <laughs> Dave. Dave. I was hope he was due to um, race Moab 240. So can you imagine what I'd have been like if he was actually there? Um, and I say I'm a fan. I'm not. I'm not somebody who puts anyone on a pedestal. I just, as I said, it's about the story for me. And I can't even imagine, having read his um, Can't Hurt Me book, I can't even imagine what it was like growing up as David Goggins, what he had to experience. Um, and that decision that he made at quite a young age, that he had to take account, take responsibility for his life, the fact that he was this um, kind of... Uh, uh, in uh, what do you call them pesticides um, that you'd fumigate yeah, buildings with cockroaches yeah. that's it pest control yeah. um, you know he was heavily overweight but somehow somewhere he found it in him um, and there's the whole you know holding the mirror up but that's a bit like wow that is so powerful um, to somebody to have that insight to actually I mean we we say to people you know kind of um we make you know life throws things at us and it's how we deal with them and I think you know he and he recognizes he could have been a very different person to what he is today um so in what I mentioned earlier about trying to step into somebody's shoes I think that's it's almost impossible to try and step into his shoes but what he's managed to do through his life his message and what he's achieved there are those headlines we you know the can't hurt me that is you know whether you like you know love it or not um but i actually think there are so many levels to that that strap line in his life we can't even imagine scratching the surface of that you know from being a six-year-old boy in the environment that he was brought up in to failing buds training as many times as he did and I love the fact he embraces failure. He has no fear of failure. You know, the number of times he attempted the um, the pull-up record. Um, mm -hmm. So I think when you talk about how can I encourage um, others to maybe see the nuances of that message, I think a lot of people, if they read his work or watch some of his posts on Insta, it'll be the smallest thing. That nuance, it will be something when people go, actually, yeah, I could probably do that or I could give that a go I could get up maybe an hour earlier and get my training in before going to work and I think it's those small messages that hit hit home to me um and his dedication and commitment and it goes back to you know perhaps a lot of us are a little bit too soft and we could be stronger and I think if anything that's come out of COVID maybe a lot of people have realized hang on a minute, I can dig a bit deeper than I need to. I have got more resilience in me um, than maybe I gave myself credit for. Um, mm. But um, James, to be honest, which is the, the moment that I know Graham is going to love, um, I don't actually need to encourage you to adopt any of his strategies because you already do in a small way in that the quote that you credited Graham for, which is callousing his mind, callous in your mind, is actually a Goggins strategy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we all did have a sort of giggle <laughs> when that, <laughs> when you said that, because um, fundamental to that belief is that there's no ifs, ands, and buts. You are so good at turning up, getting a job done, even if you don't want to do it at times. Um, and 
when we talk about it in running or sports, you know, our, um, our muscles don't remember contractions. Our brain remembers movement and habits. And it's those habits, the more that we do them, the more we callous our minds. When we're presented with tough situations, we have the tools to be able to then deal with those situations with um, courage and being bold. And it's great to use these words. You know, somebody told me that um, we should never use the word good because good is so average. It's the number seven. You know, either be great or it's not great you know or either be bold and courageous it's like we can we can commit more energy to some of these um strengths and attributes yeah james do you want to <laughs> respond or you want me to respond <laughs> where to start where to start so this, this listen, could be the rest of the podcast to be honest to be really clear i have no personal issue with um Dave, I think you called him earlier. Um, <laughs> Big D. Or, or his message. Where, where it, and his story is remarkable, and I think I said that. I think where, where I was getting at was is I do think the delivery of it lends itself towards quite a binary interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you do that, you can lose people very quickly. It's like, because the flip of that is, is, and you think you need to think about the, the mindset of the person you're speaking to. So if you if you play back some of that, that commentary, um, You've got the point there that says we are all a bit soft and we can all be stronger. And actually that can be, someone can take that as criticism as yes. opposed to inspiration. And that's what I think you lose. That's what it loses me. And <clears throat> I know I've got a lot of those traits, you know, getting up early, never miss a session. You know, I'll run to a drop. I've ran through multiple barfs and races and I just got on with it. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't see that as being some sort of, um, strength to light a candle to and go look at me because that's that's the impression I get with some of this the way the story's landed but I do see it as inspiration and I think I think where the, the point the point I have or the point and challenge I had with Goggins isn't his story it's how it's told yeah. and I think it's told to attract a market of um, uh, almost like the, and I guess it's, it's maybe a, a good measure of just modern America um, you're either with us or against us you know it's this or it's that mm-hmm. and that catches people and it markets it really well and actually underneath that story there's a much stronger human story that could be so much more inspir- inspirational if it was drawn out you actually have drawn it out much better by the way you've told it and that's why we were asking how you could interpret it for people then it actually comes across mm-hmm. which is like oh, I ran on a broken leg why don't you do that and it's like well because it's kind of dangerous and it's not the right thing yeah. to do yeah. Oh yeah. yes, I totally that you know that's not recommended for people to run on broken legs. Um and but there are there are varying scales because in somebody's race they may choose to finish a race with a sore ankle. You know, that's a different scale, but the race may have been important and they may be weighing up that justification to say okay, it's kind of okay to carry on. I mean, his is an extreme situation, and I think you're exactly, you know, I totally agree. The way it, it does come across is very binary um, and doesn't have maybe the subtleties to go with it. But if we looked at, say, I don't know, I'm not doing a comparison, but if we looked at some of the things that Killian does in some of those extreme environments and the stream, extreme situations he puts himself in at high risk, but we know that he's got the mountain experience he's been doing this all his life you know 
I've heard stories um, when he um, did the lightweight summit of Mont Blanc, somebody walked in to one of the, um, the stores in Chamonix and said, can you just sell me all the kit that Kellyanne wore yesterday to summit Mont Blanc because I'm going to try it. This guy had no idea, no mountaineering skills, you know, but because of how it was shown, and I think over time, over the last few years, I think we'd be aware that Killian has caveated a lot more of his stuff now um, because of his experience. Um, and so to a degree, you know, um, Goggins is a Navy SEAL. He has been put in some very extreme situations. And one of the stories he's tell, you know, you reach a point as a Navy SEAL where you don't know what's behind that door when you open it. And that that comes from somewhere very deep inside to be able to have that strength of character. Now, that doesn't, you know, I don't want to be that person. There are those people out there. But I think you're right. The story could be told in a different way. And maybe I took from it what I needed to hear or what really helped me. Um, yeah. So. But I guess maybe maybe there's some beauty in that in Killian and Goggins himself because they're ultimately not storytellers. They're not they're not authors and um, they're they're trying to tell their own story in the only way that they know based on the situations that they've gone through as as a youngster and mm -hmm. Goggins probably you know he lacked any kind of love and security in his life for a long time so all he can do is respond or create a toolbox based on the cir the circumstances that he's come from um, and maybe we are always looking for um, somebody like that to consider every potential reader um but yeah I, I i struggle a little bit with the people who just people generally are looking for a magic bullet aren't they they're looking for the one thing that's going to change their training or change their attitude and and it's easy for them to say well i'm just going to tell myself you can't hurt me and that's that's going to be enough for me and not really seeing the background that yeah. he's a very different person from most of us purely based on his, his upbringing and his background and and he's responded Incredibly, I guess you could argue in a lot of ways, considering where he came from. Well, our, experience, our experiences shape is right, and 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 I, I guess when when someone like Goggins in this regard, his market was to preach to, to try and inspire through preaching, and you can actually probably look at that right back to his background, how he was brought up, and some of the things he's done through time, and what he was influenced by, and that that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. And what, what then becomes important as we talk about this as a group is, is how you can then take a story and then kick it around as a group and then turn it into a new bit of learning for us. So the learning for me is actually, I get I get a wee bit more about why you respect him. You mentioned Graham earlier, I totally see why Graham does, right? Because he's like, he's like a UK Navy SEAL, which kind of makes him just like a lollipop man in a submarine, but that's a, that's a different story. Um, but and, 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 I'm going to have to cut that. <laughs> um, but but in, in, in all seriousness, though, um, when, you, when you bring that story together, you go, actually, he's told the story in the only way he knows how and in a way that really engages with a certain demographic, particularly yeah. from the country he's coming from. And that's yeah. what makes it really powerful. And the story the story is amazing and brilliant. It's just, if it was my story, it's probably not how I would tell it, and therefore yeah. not how I want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think in one of the episodes, sorry, just to maybe wrap up, but one of the episodes you talked about, um, we have to be passionate about ourselves. Um, yeah. And I think... If he f he found that and what, however he took that, his drive to be the Navy SEAL, his um, drive to kind of spread his, 
I don't say word, but his his belief system, you know, he really believes in how he approaches life. I mean, he lives from my understanding quite a minimalist life um he's not really hung up on the whole social media thing but he does it as the vehicle within which he can try and inspire people um and there is a lot i mean and he's and he's can he can be controversial you know some of the things he does, and he, ch he gets challenged on it um but he's not i don't think he's prescriptive i don't think he's telling people he's just sharing and because um people will find excuses and I think in any capacity, most excuses can be um, seen off. Um, one of the I read, this was years ago, was um, George W. Bush Jr., I think it was, was a, a big runner, um, you know, had a great 10K PB time. Um, and running was so important to him, he had a treadmill installed on Air Force One, which I think is really cool. He didn't want yeah. to have that excuse that he couldn't train on a certain day if he was traveling somewhere. I mean, things, you know, it's about inspiring in so many different ways and so many different levels. That's, yeah. tra that's training at altitude right there. Yeah. Just one reflection there, and one thing I'll take away from this conversation more than ever, anything else, is, is he's not um, being prescriptive, he's just sharing. And he's allowing yeah. you to take that away. That that's a that's a really good point to reflect on for me. Yeah. Shall we group hug? Hug it out. This one. Yeah. We've done the Goggins thing. <laughs> After you do the burpee challenge, of course. I think you should do it live on a hundred. I know. Class. I think so. That would be amazing. <laughs> Please, uh, let's not go there. We'll do it the night. Um, Gemma's having her baby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right, shall we move on? Um, I wanted to talk uh, more about adaptability, Kaz. We talked about um, this idea of the growth mindset, which has maybe been a little bit overdone in the last few years, and I think it's a fairly easy concept to grasp, but it's maybe a lot more challenging to actually make that change. Um, so I wondered if you found anything that you think works with someone who might be quite resistant to making change and maybe even stuck in some kind of fixed mindset. Do you think there are any practical strategies for turning that around, uh, be it generally or using training and racing as a way of creating these opportunities for for you to practice and feel the benefits of that kind of change? I mean, I know um, James is an expert on this. Um, and from a lot of the presentations, I've learned a lot about um, fixed mindset and growth mindset. Um, so self-talk for me is is super interesting. Um, mm. It's an area actually I'm going to be researching as part of my thesis, which I'm super yeah. excited. I get three months to focus purely on self-talk and my um, context is going to be uh, human performance in extreme environments, which will be um, in, a, in a racing in a racing environment. So um, I'm starting that uh, sometime this month. Um, but just to, to clarify, so self-talk is how we describe a situation to ourselves. Um, and I think as you discussed in a, a previous episode, there is a considerable amount of research that demonstrates our behaviour directly relates to how we think and feel. So, um, and you guys know, it can be motivational it can have a detrimental impact on how we respond to things. It can have a hugely positive impact and it can be used as a strategy to increase motivation, to build confidence, 
um, and to actually improve performance. And as athletes, mm. that's like, that's super interesting. That's, you know, that's yeah. something that, you know, we, in and, and we're um, collected on this in that we love our running. We're passionate about our running, our training. Races are lovely, amazing experiences to have, but we would still run. We're proving that yeah. through COVID. Um, but if there's something that can improve our performance in those dark moments when you know we are struggling there's a particular obstacle whether it's mental or physical um you know our self-talk is is really important so the scenario you described um whether it's in a in a race almost or but we'd need to be doing it through training because mindset and and training kind of go hand in hand you can't do almost one without the other um and i was going to say ultra running but it's even if you're starting to run and do a 5k you do yeah. you know a 10 minute run followed by a five minute walk by in 10 minutes and you start building that up and you hit your goal of 5k or 10k each one of those steps you're building confidence um but if somebody's really stuck in a rut um i think so the first thing that i would suggest and it's it's part of a kind of structure of a kind of tool to apply is that you start identifying that negative self-talk that fixed mindset what is it that you're thinking um what are those conversations that you're having with yourself and to actually over and this doesn't have to be really formal but it's really good to jot them down um and you can do this over several weeks um but it's a case of asking ourselves a question am i actually being supportive to myself or am I being really critical um what do I say to myself in challenging moments and we've all and I think you I can't remember which episode you discussed this on but Paul you shared some of your experiences it's like you know why does this happen am I you know gosh you know yeah. this is you know um, and even practical things like drop bags not arriving oh my god it's happened to me yeah. you know that kind of thing yeah. um so if we're doing that in training, we can then start identifying what our fixed thoughts are, what our negative self-talk is, and then it's about identifying measures to stop them. So we need to stop them. We need to, and it can be, it can be an action to almost do the physical, like stop that thought, something almost yeah. tangible that you have to do. Um, and then alongside your list of your negative thoughts, because it, it could be, you'll start seeing, um, commonality amongst them there'll be a theme there might be you might write down 20 things but overall there might be three or four that all sort of um niggle away at you in the same way um that it's replacing those with a positive thought um and actually putting some time to say when i think this i'm gonna stop it and i'm gonna think this as a positive response to it um and we do that through cognitive restructuring and it and it just takes practice like everything else we're training physically but we have to train our mind as well um i don't know if james there's things you want to kind yeah. of add to that i mean that that is a that is a brilliant phrase that i think i i, I will i'll take away that cognitive restructuring that that really it really chimes with me because some people do it so, so i i do that naturally right i see myself as like oh i hear that negative self talking i'm like right how do i get this out of my mind and it can be really hard to tell people how you do that if it's something you do well we've talked about it before if somebody's good at something doesn't mean they're good at telling others how to do that mm -hmm. um but everything you said there makes so much sense you know control the mind and then everything else will come come from the other side of that so if when you talk about cognitive restructuring how 
how would you help people start that journey, start that process? What would you say to them? Listen to this podcast today. Say these are the first two or three things you should do to help that process get underway. I think certainly acknowledging them, identifying them, that's really important. Um, and I'm, I am somebody who writes things down. I find that a really um, therapeutic process um, mm. because you can go back to them and it can be, because um, it doesn't always have to be um, running related. For, you know, for example, you're, you go out for your run, but all you're thinking about is everything that happened in the day. You're not actually allowing yourself the time to get the benefit from that run. We know how important being outside exercising is for mental health and mental well-being um, and I think probably even more so um, now through Covid when people have been put in really stressful situations having to not only now work from home but home teach, homeschooling, um, you know their, their time that they had for them has been squeezed and squeezed and if they feel that they may be failing in one aspect that can have ripples so it's not just saying somebody who's in a negative mindset from a position of then training is suddenly never going to feel that again that can come and go so you can be training really well and then you can have a really bad spell where everything is negative you're not doing you're not achieving your fitness scores you're not hitting your goals you've missed a few green boxes and they're red you know so it's how we stop and identify what's causing it um, and then put in place um, something to change that. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, it really, it really does. Yeah, it's probably about awareness, first of all, then, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's taking a step back and being able to recognise things because I think, I think people grasp the concept okay, but they maybe just don't know practically how to go about doing that. And then... I don't think the attitude that you see in social media sometimes helps too much in that kind of fake it till you make it, you know, like just tell yourself you're great or something and, and try and override it automatically when I don't I don't think that is a is a long term um success mechanism if you like. Yeah. And maybe just trying to raise your own awareness first of all is is the right way to go about it. You can't really busk the brain, right? You've got to you've got to yeah. kind of consciously change it. And I, I feel that there's like a triple A anal um acronym that comes out of of that, which is um awareness, acceptance and action. That's yeah. brilliant. So you can use that in your thesis. Take it away. That's my <laughs> gift to you. It feels such a, a simple way of putting it then, isn't it? It's a triple A. That's, yeah. I like that. That's really good. That's my job in a day-to-day -day basis. I said good. That's great. That's amazing. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's awesome. That's acceptable, James. Thank you. <laughs> This is like an optimism overload with you two on the call. We need some more realism here. Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, excellent. So I, I was actually going to ask you about, you know, whether or not you've seen the mind as being like as important or more important or where it, where it sat with the balance of your physical capability. But it's it's quite clear to me from what I've heard from you there um, that you, you see training the mind, getting that in a good space, and, and really working at it, it's going to be, play a big part in success going forward. So I guess one thing for me, you talked about that um, that whole act of, you know, becoming aware, accepting it, then acting on it. Can you give me an example of when you've done that, when you've had to do that? Oh, that's, that's a good question. So in my races, 
I would probably be able to say that I could um, tell you um, a situation where I've had to deal with it mentally through my own self-talk and self-belief over remembering a physical physical well, yeah, yeah. so um you know i had a mantra for um moab 240 which was um stay focused and stay calm so it's focused and calm and you know and i would repeat that a million times but as the race went on i i really i reached a point i think it was early on day two where i was starting to decide where i could drop out what was an acceptable distance that i could yeah, drop yeah, out yeah. and because um it was a 240 mile race rather than a 200 that 40 miles played with my mind so much it's yeah. incredible it was a bit like think you can do another 40 miles like who are you kidding mm. And so I decided at 100 miles that was acceptable. I decided at 150 miles. Um, and then I got to an aid station, probably a bit kind of like, oh, I'm not having a good race. Beautiful scenery. You know, I couldn't have been more lucky. The weather was fantastic. Um, and then I just had the chat with a medic who was there. And he just helped me rephrase things to, rather than be focused on performance or achieving, but it was gratitude. And the and the and it was a beautiful. I mean, he's quite a spiritual guy, and he's just um, you know, a wonderful human being. But it was he rephrased it for me to be grateful to Father Air and Mother Earth, and that gratitude that became my new mantra, um, and that took me um, through the rest of the race. And before I knew it, I'm out the other side of that very dark place, and my original mantra came mantra came back. And I was like, strong, stay focused, stay calm, get through this. So mentally, I I do try and visualise myself as water, that I'm not going to see these obstacles as rocks that I can't round. Everything, like water is one of the most powerful, powerful things. It's how, you know, in um, Utah, like all the parks have been created. Water has created those valleys. Um, so it's so powerful, so strong, yet it's so malleable and being able to adapt. We go back to adaptability. Um, so I try and visualise myself as being as fluid as possible, as um, open to change as possible. Um, and in every race, I've had a moment like that to go through. That's amazing. And I love this. Um, the, the way you talked about that was it being grateful for Father Air and Mother Earth and then water is malleable. Paul. Kaz has given us more sound bites in this podcast <laughs> than we had in the first yeah. six episodes. Yeah. No, um, but exactly. there's so, so many things, and it, and it bears repeating to say them back because when, when you're talking that stuff through and people are listening, they might miss that. But that, that, that idea of visualising yourself as water, not because you're thinking, I'm a stream and I'm strong and all, but you're thinking, I can get round anything. Water always finds a way. And I, I really, I love that. That's that's a, a great explanation. Thanks for answering that. And Kaz, those those mantras then, are, are, you, are you deciding on those specific mantras per race or are you thinking about that weeks and months before the race as you're training? Or is, is, is that a process you go through to prep specifically for Moab 240 or, or, or anything else? I, I never um, think, okay, I'm going to decide what my mantra is for this race coming up. Yeah. Um, all of them have been really organic. Um, and, you know, I think the very first one, um, the first race I did and you as a coach was you just told me to be confident. And I was a bit like, okay, 
I can be confident. <laughs> and I wrote that on my number, as I do, upside down. I made that, I think, I, I think that was probably the one that I made the mistake because I wrote it like the right way the right and way. I couldn't yeah. read it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm, and I, again, I was like, be confident. And there's, that's not kind of like, I'm not saying there's an arrogance, but it's like confidence that, and I probably need to, um, need to emphasize this because I've had a couple of people think that with my believe stickers, if I just tell somebody to believe, they're going to finish an ultra race. And that's not the case at all. We know that a huge amount of training has to go in, all the preparation. Um, I'm the same as you, James, in that I, when you're talking about, um, you know, researching your long runs or coming up with a mini challenge each month, um, I put a lot of time into studying the race profile, you know, looking at my times, my potential um, checkpoint, you know, uh, times at checkpoints, so all this goes behind my training, <clears throat> but that belief sticker, it, I don't know, it connected with a lot of people. And I think people that perhaps put in all that hard work, that when they're at that start line, they just need that bit of self-belief. They've done it, they're there. It's time to perform, yeah. it's time to be confident. And, you know, we're not talking about, you know, whether or not it's podium positions or whatever, but do your best. You've, you know, you've earned the right to stand there and to believe in yourself and believe what you're capable of. And we probably know people between us were just a little pinch of that, pinch more, and they'd, you know, shine. They'd be, you know, they'd have, you know, maybe greater experiences because they're happy with themselves rather than going back to self-talk, rather being critical of a performance. Um, so belief is hugely important, but you know, I do say you can't just believe you'll get around a hundred miles without training. Yeah, it's more when 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 you do that for people, it's more to remind them that they should believe in themselves rather than yeah. if you haven't done the training, you know, you're you're only trying to bluff yourself, aren't you? If you haven't yeah. done the training, you haven't done the prep, you don't know what the course is like, then you're always going to struggle to believe that you can finish it. James, you're right. Do you work on a mantra? at all for races or anything i i tend to um i tend to have things that i might come up with close to the race um or sometimes they're they're reactive so like when um when when i, I got into the last sort of six or seven miles at rocky raccoon and and i know we're going to tell a story in more detail at some point but when my my uh, brother was there and my dad said to him you know tell tell james to run like he's never run before my mantra from there was pain goes away. I just was like, I'm going to run hard. And I kept saying to myself, pain goes away, pain goes away. And the, the, the subplot to that was, but the success lasts forever. So I can suffer mm. the pain in the moment and I get to live the glory forever, you know, and, and that sounds quite grandiose. But I, I don't I don't prescript, go prescriptive with a mantra in advance, but I've, I'm usually quite good at pulling them out, almost reactive, like the, the, the Father Earth, Mother Earth one. But yeah. I think sometimes what I do need to be a wee bit more open to is the external influences that can help spark that mantra. Um, because if when you're in that kind of negative self-talk and in that mindset of your own, all you need is someone to say something and you've been willing and open to accept that to change your mindset. Um, and it's something that it's uh, it's not something I'm saying I need to work on, but it's something that I need to consciously try and make myself do more of. So using a crew at a GB event or maybe even just thinking to a memory like a call like this and going, what would what would Kaz say to me just now if she was here? And she'd yeah. probably she'd probably go, be really grateful and be proud of the, the work that you've done. Yeah. And then I would go, yeah, that's brilliant. And I'm, you know, be happy about where you are rather than worry about where you're not. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I from my side of things, I, I think there's an opportunity to do something that can be race-specific or something. And maybe, maybe it's easier if you're going back to the same race. So for me, I was back at Western States four times. So the second time I ran Western States, I knew the points where I struggled or I knew the points that I maybe made mistakes and I ran too hard and I didn't relax or whatever. So then it would it would be short-sighted of me not to try and acknowledge that before I go into the next version of the race, you know, and think, well, how am I going to deal with that if that same situation happens in that same canyon at the same time and it's crazy hot and I'm, I feel like I'm dying or I've got pain in my legs or whatever. So I, I think... I think there's an opportunity to to maybe think about that as part of your ongoing race prep when you're getting closer and you're maybe sitting in that taper and you're maybe nervous about the race and you can think back to, well, what did I do the last time? And not necessarily even that race, but what were the things that maybe held me back in my previous race? Yeah, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think if you don't acknowledge where you might have struggled before, you get to that point and if you're even in a modicum of negative self-talk, that can be a, a that can almost be subconscious permission to um a road performance. Yeah. But if you if you're dealing with so I think there is a lot about preparing mentally in advance. That kind of whole lines of probability. What could go well? What could go wrong? What will I do if this goes wrong? You know. So would you know that what what if I get to an aid station and my bag's not there? I'll just take stuff from the aid station. I'll check in advance what's available at the aid station so that I'm not faffing about, particularly if I've got dietary requirements. So there is, there is a lot you can do on that. And then I think that then the mantra bit of it becomes just your own way of being able to make sure you stay focused on what, what's happening ahead. Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes I think um, we're, we're less willing to take learnings from bad situations or bad experiences, you know, like even, not even necessarily in a race, but in... A, a, maybe a poor work performance like we we will tell ourselves that there was a reason why that was just a bad day because that's easier because we don't want to face the fact that maybe you didn't do enough prep or you didn't make the right decisions at that point we would rather not have that conversation so we we actually miss out on some of the learning sometimes i think we're really good at justification on that yeah. point you know finding yeah. external reasons that means that we don't ah. need to take accountability for performance and i and, and i think the problem with that is is i think you're right and and poor situations where we might go okay i have a i have an excuse or a reason that means i don't need to um, acknowledge that and then take preemptive action to make sure it doesn't yeah. happen again in future so whether that be my nutrition was wrong or whatever in a race or as you say my lack of preparation from a work context but actually i also think equally we can be quite bad at not looking at what went really well when things go well yeah you're right I, yeah. I, and just going oh that went well cause so that i think that the, the point in all of that is is when you have an, enough self-efficacy and you're willing to look at what you've done and then take the lessons from that for good or ill, it just helps with that whole growth and helps you take the best and repeat that, but also where there was opportunity, fix that. So you went yeah. back to Western States four times and you're like, you know, and let, let's put this in context. People would go, well, I finished top 10. How could anything have went wrong? And you're going, well, well, things did go wrong. There was obviously over 100 miles. It's never going to be plain sailing. So if I'm going to want to improve that position, I need to look at where my opportunities for improvement are, but also consolidate where it went well. I think there's, yeah. there's always two sides to that. And maybe even going back to that earlier conversation we've had, James, about you've you've got a position or a time or something in your mind about what you have to achieve. And, and sometimes it's not because circumstances changed or it's been a poor situation. And, and we maybe we can still have the most incredible performance of your life. I I read something recently and it was um Bodie Miller, the skier or something, and um 
you know, he was talked about when he goes in and he, he wins a race, he finishes first downhill skier, whatever. And people are saying, oh, amazing, amazing, amazing performance, Bodhi. You're you're the best. That was incredible. And and he knows deep down, he's like, I didn't actually ski my best there. It's just that I was I was better than other people on that day. And and then on the other hand, there's times where he's finished fifth or tenth. And people have said, oh, it's a shame. Commiserations. You, you didn't get what you wanted. And he's like, I actually skied the best I could possibly ski on that day in those conditions you know and and he he almost gets pretty pissed off i think with people saying that to him and that's you kind of living up to other people's expectations or something where deep down he's like it's like even i could argue my utmb performance last year which was not what i wanted in terms of finished position but i i went through so much in that utmb and it was an incredible performance for me um to continue to push through when it would have been easy for me to quit you know and automatically people are like oh it's a shame i mean you still did okay and i'm like well actually i did it was an yeah. amazing performance from my side of things and i, I listened to um, a podcast recently and and it's i've totally lost on me the name of the, the athlete that was talking so um forgive me for not being able to name them but what this, what struck me really importantly was when the conversation was you're talking about people pushing performance onto you and judging you by by standards that they have no right to judge you on, like the position you finished in the field or the time you done against the an expectation that they have versus what you have, um, and and the, the the that athlete psychologist said to him in really simple terms, most people don't care and forget about your performance within seconds of judging it. Yeah, and yeah, the person absolutely. who lives with it is you. So yeah. you need to get comfortable with it, and you're absolutely right. Um, my my worst ever distance ran over 24 hours when I, you know, finished because I had to drop out of one of them um, part way through. My worst ever net performance was probably my most satisfying. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, what's the time, James? What we're we looking at here? We'll probably wrap up. We'll do one more question, maybe, if you're okay with that, Kaz. The- Hang on for a bit. Yeah, that's good. Well, we've been over yeah. an hour, um, so it's been a very rich conversation, and um, I've learnt so much. So I think I would love to do one more question. So over to you, Paul. You can you can take us home. Okay, um, Kaz, we had a whole episode about optimism and about hope, and a fair amount of that we didn't quite nail or necessarily even agree with. And I think probably some of our views have changed since we even had that conversation. But it was a really useful process for both of us and for people that listened as well. James is is clearly a very positive and optimistic person. Um, I might be classed more as some positive realist or something i don't know and i don't think one trumps the other and maybe one sticking point we had was around this kind of buddhist idea about abandoning hope um which is something that i think probably james feels is inherently negative i wondered if you had a a view on anything around hope and if it's if it's a good thing and and where it sits versus optimism uh, I think to start with, um, I mean, I you gave a really um, detailed um, background to optimism and, you know, I learned a lot from that. Some of the things that you were saying about um, thinking the best possible things will happen and hope for it, even if it's not likely to occur. Um, so having that really positive outlook. Um, and I think um, this is a quote from a film, but what certainly seems to capture optimism for me is everything will be all right in the end. And if it's not all right, it's not the end. Yeah. And I think sometimes I can certainly have that mindset 
um, personally. And then when I read up more around what you were talking about being a, what did you say, um, positive realist. Um, <laughs> I don't know, I just made it up, Kirsten. But isn't, it exists. It actually exists. Oh, does it? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no. So oh, you're yeah. a visionary person. Which I, I think, which we would, I think we would agree, <laughs> visionary person, but sets realistic goals. So you dream big, but you're able then practically to start putting things in place to reach your goals. So I was wondering, am I a James or am I a Paul? That was my um, question to myself. Um, but yeah. then also, I didn't know too much about the um, the Buddhist idea of abandoning hope, and as as evocative as that sounds, it sounds like a album title or a kind of book yeah, or a film, yeah. Abandoning Hope. Um, I kind of wanted to try and, so I read about, I read up on um, Perma um, and her thinking and philosophizing. Um, and I, I try and draw meanings or themes to it that kind of perhaps apply to my situation or try, my world to try and bring context to it, to bring some understanding. And I think some of the, um, wordage around it was um so by abandoning hope um we're actually talking about not running away about facing um facing the challenges being accountable no matter what is going on um and about being resilient and you know full circle the covid situation has probably demanded a lot of us do that um because you know, going back to those early days and weeks when there was a lot of noise about it. We talked about the social media hype. We talked about everyone following everything just to get that latest bit of information. When that noise kind of quietened down, I think probably a lot of us, I don't know, maybe sent, felt a sense of relief. The world had stopped, you know. We didn't yeah. know whether we had hope or not, but we had to lean on ourselves um, in that situation to find what we were made of. Um, so I kind of think, I think it's been from, from all the negative side of it and the awful situations that a lot of people find themselves in, whether it be yeah. health or um, jobs or just family situations, um, there's a lot of positive stuff that's come out of it and a lot of cre creativity. And you kind of like to hope that a lot of people have you know, looked at themselves to see how they, we're humans on a piece of rock that's orbiting in space, you know, at the end of the day, we, we're a community, um, and I think we have a responsibility to ourselves first, and it goes back to what you said, James, <clears throat> we have to, if we can look after ourselves first and well, then we can look after other people better, um, and I think if there's an optimism that more people recognize that um and does that I, you said it we interchange them so does that give us hope should we abandon mm. it mm. i don't know maybe it's cyclic that we go through abandoning it becoming optimistic finding hope again i yeah i don't know i mean i i, I don't think there's ever really a clear answer but i think it's definitely something worth thinking about and it's it's opened us all up to how we navigate these difficult times i think the way you described it there though Kaz is, is really good in the sense that you wouldn't discard hope but you also if you think of hope as almost being like a step towards optimism the way you described it yeah um, you wouldn't discard it because then that step maybe is gone for some people maybe for others they can go straight to optimism they can jump two rungs in the ladder but also don't stand on it too long because that step will disappear 
So you have to make a move off of it, otherwise you'll end up back at square one. And that that that's the way I see it. That's why when Paul was saying I, I find it in, in, um, inherently negative. I think that, that to take something away mm. because it's 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 evil. I think that was actually the words that was used. That I used. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the words that was used. The the positive realist amongst us said it's evil. But the, no, no. In, in the sense that 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 it was perceived as the ultimate evil because actually it was the last thing that was left in Pandora's box and all of that. Um, it just feels to me that actually I think our thinking of what hope is is evolving, and therefore hope can be. A platform on which to get to the next level, which may be moving towards more optimistic and in control. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or it can create lazy people who who sit and rely on hoping that it's going to be okay, rather than taking some level of control ultimately. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it can. Yeah. And I think I think the point there though is, is and it maybe goes back almost. We end up cycling back to the the, the yeah. point around yeah. the Goggins thing is, is actually. For some people, it's a really important tool in their journey, and for others, it's actually destructive because it stops them yeah. from taking control of their journey. Yeah, and I think then that comes down to working with them to help identify whether or not it's po a positive force for them because it's a transitional phase, or whether it's a negative force because actually it's stopping them. Yeah, I think that's a good way to leave it. Almost, that it's it's on an individual basis, and. Yeah, that's probably a good place for us to finish up. So before you both disappear, Kaz, you'll have listened to these podcasts by now. No, anyway. I uh, don't want to. I, I, Surprise I have the no notice question at the end, and it's uh, I have the capacity to do that. So um, someone actually suggested to me in a message that we should have this kind of found in the briars part at the end. Um, if you know Barclay at all, that's obviously about finding books. So I wanted to really ask you um, if you could both tell me the best book that you've read this year so far and maybe in two sentences why why it was a useful read for you. So I'll go first um, to give Kaz time to think um, and react <laughs> to this question. I have, what a gent. I, I have literally just finished Wonder. Um, which is the book of the young boy who's got a facial deformity um, yeah. um, um, and it's been made into a film and it's a kind of kid's book and Ewan asked me to read it so Ewan's 12, he's like you need to read this um, and, and it, I, I just found it such a an emotionally deep story and I would recommend it to everyone so it's not about non-fiction, it's a, it's a fiction story but there are so many things we can learn about the human nature and being kind um, from that story that I would encourage anyone to read it. Such an easy read. Cool. Nice one. Kaz, you got any thoughts? Oh, this is such a difficult one for me because all I've been reading is study books yeah. um, and um, philosophy or and e mindset. Or even something that stands out from your study then that, that really stood out to you because I know you get excited about particular elements in your studies. I uh, do. I've, I've been part of those conversations, which and is good. Because of James, um, I actually have it here, my mindset. Carol. All right. So Carol Dweck. Yes. Awesome. So I think um, for me, doing this amazing deep dive into um, psychology, um, sports psychology, um, even actually some of the conversations James and I have had about some some of my assignments being about um, leadership. Um, I've learned so much um, in that I can't believe since September. Um, and because I think you touched about it in your podcast, Paul, when um, you were giving your backstory to how you got to Pylon and you'd reached mm. a point of being comfortable and you weren't learning. 
I've had yeah. reached that point and I can't read enough about psychology at the moment, um, which yeah. I think as I've always said, I'm very much my, you know, test case of one. Um, I try everything on me. Um, so that has been yeah, the last um, six months for me um, in, in reading. Brilliant. Well, maybe we'll we'll have you back on. It would be great to talk more about that kind of stuff, to be honest, guys. So um, I think we'll leave it there for now then. Thanks so much for joining us today, Kaz. And like I said, I hope it might be more of a regular feature that we can connect up Sham and Scotland too. Uh, so thank you so much for listening. If you would like to hear more, then please subscribe, leave us a comment and share it on social media. We'd love to have many more of these conversations on living the ultra life where we'll talk further about the people, the places, the culture and the training behind our running lives. I'm Paul Giblin. I'm James Stewart. And we've been talking to... Kaz Williams. (laughs) Excellent. And you've been listening to the Pylon Ultra Pod. Boom. So before I go and we finish up the first series of the podcast, it would feel wrong of me not to say something like I have in the past few episodes. So keep it short, and it's maybe something we'll talk more about in the next series. It's consistency. It's a word I use every week when talking to the athletes that I coach. Without fail, it's the one thing that most of us chase in training and in life, as we know it helps us to reach a level of mastery. We don't want to succeed just once or have a great race experience one time out of ten. We don't want to feel happy for just a single moment or be at our very best sporadically. But that also means we have a tendency to sit back and rely on the patterns and efforts that gave us a level of success in the past. But if you really want to maximise the impact you have on yourself and others, you need to change the way you think. You need to create new thinking patterns. We can find a way to focus and break through the fear that holds us back. We get stuck, our minds consumed by the problems of the moment and we know that each time we navigate one of those obstacles, there's another line in wait just a few steps along the path. If anything, this pandemic situation has helped us to see that, to see that we have to look beyond the immediate issues and to know that we have the ability to establish long-term commitments to focusing on solutions that really matter to us and how we live our lives, and to enjoy the process as we do that. So how do we start on that journey? What is step number one? We need to know exactly what it is that we want. The people living the most fulfilled lives know where they are and where they want to be, and if you don't, how do you think you'll ever feel a greater sense of passion, joy and control of your life? So as I've said a number of times on this podcast, there is so much value in asking good questions of yourself and of others. Do you really know what it is you want from life? And maybe that's something you can think about this week.